As we continue our study of the Gospel of John, we are continuing our study of God's redemptive story through His Son, Jesus Christ. And we move now from John 3 to John 4, one conversation to another. And Jesus' conversations are very, very interesting, not only because of who He is and because of what He says, but also because of the contrast of who He's talking to. In John chapter 3, Jesus had a conversation with Nicodemus, a very moral man, a man with a great reputation. He sat on the seat of the Sanhedrin as the teacher of the people of Israel. And now as we move from John chapter 3 to John chapter 4, this is the longest recorded conversation that Jesus has with anyone in the Bible. He's now talking with a woman. And the woman is not moral like Nicodemus. The woman is immoral. The woman doesn't have a great reputation. In fact, she has a bad reputation. And this woman isn't just any woman. She is a Samaritan woman who the Jews consider to be half-breeds and heretics. So, what we get in John chapter 3 and John chapter 4 is a window into our God's heart. That God has a heart for those who are up and out. Nicodemus, who didn't understand what it meant to be born again. And now the Samaritan woman who is down and out. The Samaritan woman who came to Jacob's well looking for a drink of water. But she came at high noon, 12 o'clock in the afternoon, when everyone else had gotten their water and gone home. She came at 12 o'clock noon because she knew that if she came when her neighbors came, she would get judged because of her lifestyle. She would get judged and condemned. People would look at her with a spirit of condescension because of her past and because of her problems. What we see here is that this woman, the Samaritan woman, she comes to Jesus. So here's the good news, friends. When we read John 3... And we see Nicodemus, one of the most moral religious men there are in the Bible. We understand this. Ready? There is no one outside the need of God's grace. And then when we come to John chapter 4 with the Samaritan woman who's made so many mistakes, we find out that there's no one outside the reach of God's grace. This Samaritan woman who did not have the right reputation, did not make the right life choices, did not come from the right part of town, and did not have the right answers to all the questions. This Samaritan woman was merely looking for water from Jacob's well, and she found a deeper thirst quenched in Jesus Christ. She was coming just looking for water. And what Jesus offered to her was living water. Living water so that she would never thirst again. And this woman was curious. This woman was looking for this kind of water. Not only so she would never thirst again, but so she wouldn't have to come back to Jacob's well. This place of shame and scorn. So envision this. Not many of us go to our well anymore for water, right? Envision you're going to your grocery store. You're going to your supermarket. Whether it's Acme or ShopRite or Wegmans, 
you're going and you need to get some milk. You go in through the, uh, the front doors, and where's the milk in the supermarket, friends? Where do they always put the milk? In the far back right corner. Why? Because they're hoping that you spend a whole lot of money as you walk through 15 rows of groceries before you get to the milk. And they're in the milk section with all the different options. You got whole milk, you got 1%, 2%, skim milk, organic milk. What is there now? Goat milk, goat milk, soy milk, rice milk, butter milk. And how can we forget my favorite? Chocolate milk. It's all right there. And there's somebody standing there waiting for you. All of a sudden, he strikes up a conversation. And all of a sudden, right there at the milk section, he knows everything about you. He knows your entire past, not just the good parts. But right there in the milk section, he's revealing he knows all the bad parts too. What would your reaction be? If someone knew you, knew every part of you, not only knew you, but also made claims about himself, looked you in the eye, and said to you that he was, in fact, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, what would your reaction be? You see, what we see in this ongoing conversation, and we're going to pick up the story now in verse 16, is that this woman was looking for living water. How many of us know that every single human being alive right now, every single beating heart is seeking after something or someone? It's not a matter of starting to seek. It's a matter of what you are seeking. This woman wants the living water. Oh, but Jesus, he's going to go straight to the heart. In the same way when he was talking to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus came with all of these religious pleasantries and flatteries. Oh, rabbi, no one would be able to do the things you do unless they're with God. Jesus cut out all that stuff. He went straight to the heart, and he said, you must be born again. Jesus said in John chapter 3, two times, you must be born again, as if to say, to inherit the kingdom of God, to go to the kingdom of God, to enjoy heaven with God, you must be born again. So born again is not just a denomination. It's not just a sect where there's the Catholics, the Methodists, the Episcopalians, the Lutherans, and then there's this really excited group of people that probably need to switch to Jesus decaf called the born-againers. It's not just a denomination. No, in fact, it's what Christ does and calls us to. In fact, there's three musts in John 3 and 4. Jesus says you must be born again in John 3, 7. And then he also says that the Son of Man must be lifted high. In fact, that's how we're given new life. In fact, that's how we are given forgiveness. He was speaking of his crucifixion. He was speaking of his death on a bloody Roman torture device. Jesus must be lifted high. Why? Because God is good and there needed to be someone to pay the price and the penalty for my sin and for your sin. There is no magic wand that God waves and then all of a sudden all the violence and the abuse and the anger and the backstabbing and the hatred disappears. God is not some kind of cosmic janitor where he just blows all of this sin underneath the rug and pretend like it's not there. The Son of Man must be lifted up. It's our only hope. Jesus is our only hope. Not only must we be born again 
And how are we born again? Well, we trust in Christ, who must have been lifted up. And now here in John chapter 4, Jesus says, God is spirit, right? God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So Jesus is about to give some truth to this woman. She wants the living water. She wants the blessings of the spirit but she needs to hear the truth. How many of us know that our Savior, Jesus Christ, can and does and will forgive any and all sin? Say amen. amen. But not only that, not only is he Savior, he's a great physician. He's a good doctor. And if you have a cancer and you go in the doctor's office and you're sick and it's scary, it's bad, do you want the doctor to tell you lies? Some of us might. Here's a Band-Aid. Here's some cough syrup. Rub some dirt on it. Go your way. No. What Jesus does is he says, there's a real cancer. There's a real problem. And here's the truth. And this is where the conversation picks up. Here in John chapter 4, all eyes on the Bible. Here in 4.16, this is the word of the Lord. Jesus said to her, the Samaritan woman, go call your husband and come here. Now she responds. She responds Somewhat truthfully, the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Let's pause right there. (laughs) Jesus cuts right to the chase. So she wasn't lying technically. Jesus says, bring your husband. He knows what he's doing. She said, I don't have a husband. She's being truth-y, truth-ish. Not the entire truth, right? Not in spirit and in truth. So what Jesus is doing is revealing her need. Before she comes to the living water, she needs to understand that she needs forgiveness. Man, I know some of us here, perhaps not five broken marriages, but we have felt the pain And yes, the consequence of when relationships break down. There's fewer harder things, right? I mean, when a marriage breaks down, when a family is broken, I mean, things could be fantastic. Like your job, your success, what everyone thinks about you on the outside, it could all be wonderful. But if things aren't right at home, how many of us know? It's all all just a charade. This woman, friends, this woman has had five broken marriages. This woman is lousy at relationships, lousy at commitment. And what does Jesus do? He waits for her and he wants to have a relationship with the one who's really, really bad at relationships. He's going to reveal his commitment to the one who has a really hard time committing to anyone for any length of time. That's our Savior's heart. Do we understand this? That if you come with baggage, and by the way, you might have only came with a purse and a bulletin in your hand, but we're all carrying baggage. Oh man, it's like we're going on a long trip. We got suitcases in every arm, backpacks full of baggage. Bring it to Christ. You might think he might not accept you, but he will. You might think that he might not forgive you, but he can. 
You might think that he might instantly judge you, but listen, he listens to you first. Friends, we have to understand what the gospel is. Church, what does gospel mean? Two words. Go ahead and tell me. Very good. In a world filled with a lot of bad news and more recently fake news, Jesus Christ is the best news that the world has ever seen. It's good news. Now, what makes the good news so good? Listen, I grew up in church. I grew up Catholic, right? So I I remember hearing about Jesus and the cross and all this stuff. I didn't understand my need for grace. The good news became good when I understood the bad news. That I am selfish, stubborn, sinner. And not just one who makes mistakes. Oh, no, no, no. There's something in me, a nature, the Bible describes it as. Something in me where I am, pro, I am uh, uh, proclivity towards sin and an allergy to God and his holiness. And this could happen right now at church. People are like, oh my, okay, what did I step into today? What am I doing here? When is this thing over? I need to get out of here quick. What is that? We have a nature in us, embedded in our nature, So we are not only sinners who make mistakes. No, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. And when we understand that, when we understand that we live in defiance of God's law every single day, in fact, every single hour, when we understand that perhaps even our good deeds are laced with a little bit of me, a little bit of vanity, a little bit of manipulation, My goodness, we understand our need for grace. When we understand who Christ is, then we understand who we are and our need for Christ. And we find out our true identity. And that's why every single one of us, right, we're all thirsty. We're all looking for something that water can't satisfy. And we're all looking for identity. So we look for it in our accomplishments. We look for it in our relationships. We look for it in our stuff, our appearance, our charisma, whatever it may be. The beautiful truth of the gospel is God loves you not only for who you are, but we really experienced gospel transformation. We understand not only who we are, but friends, whose we are, that we belong to him finally and forever. So if we live a joyless Christianity right now, if it's all just a bore, if it's all just bitterness on the tongue, if it's all just laborious, then perhaps we have forgotten how much we need grace, how much we need God. There's a direct correlation between how impressed we are with ourselves with how depressed our Christianity will be. Meaning that if we are sufficient in ourselves and every single day you look in the mirror and you are like, I am awesome. That's all right to feel good about yourself in Christ if you get so impressed with yourself that you no longer need Christ. Don't be surprised when all the joy of worship is gone, when your desire to read the Bible is gone, when your desire to walk with God and pray with God and trust God and lean on God to be used by God. Listen, our lives are short. We don't get much time. If all of that's been robbed from you, we need to go back to the foot of the cross. We need to go back to Amazing Grace. The man who penned that beautiful hymn, Amazing Grace, John Newton, said this, 
towards the end of his life, he said, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. The story continues here in verse 19, all eyes back on Scripture. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Isn't that astounding? Isn't that remarkable? Jesus had no problem saying He was the Savior of of the world. How many of us have ever had that claim? How many of us, literally, I mean, have you ever talked to somebody said flat out, straight faced? Yeah, it's me. I'm going to save everything. I'm the Messiah. I'm the long sought after, long waited for, anointed king. Jesus has no problem saying it. You see, there was no path of discovery for Jesus as he uh, grows into a Messiah. No, he understood it. He knew it and he shared it. And because he could speak such clear truth into her life was because he knew clearly the truth about his life, that he's the Christ, that there's one savior and it's not me. There's one savior and it's not a church. There's one savior and it's not a ritual or tradition or a path or a pilgrimage. This woman asks about a place. You notice what happens here? Jesus asks her a really, really specific question. Where's your husband? And she doesn't have a husband. And then he says, you're right, you have five husbands. So he's getting right into her heart, friends. Listen, do we ever deflect in those moments? When someone is really pressing in, when we're about to really get uncomfortable as far as what the subject matter is going to be, and it's something we need to hear, it's something that's right and that's good, what do we do? Deflect. What this woman does she doesn't talk about her husbands or her broken marriages or anything. She talks, starts to talk about the mountains, right? Sir, I see that you are a prophet. My ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but the Jews, they worship on that mountain. What say you, kind sir? I mean, it's such a deflection. We do this as well. As opposed to talking about Christ with fellow Christians, we talk about church stuff, churchianity. What's going on with church? Or perhaps some kind of cultural controversy. Or perhaps some kind of political distraction. Anything but getting to the true heart of the problem. And the true heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. It's to know Christ, not outside of us, not in a building, but inside of us, in our hearts. And that's why Jesus brings it back to worship. He brings it back to worship. He says the Father is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Do we get this, friends? God is seeking after your heart, your worship. 
Now, what is worship? When we think worship, go ahead and, and, and I, this is my fourth service, so you've got to help me out. When we think worship, what do you think of? What naturally comes to mind? Go ahead and tell me. Just say it out. Music, right? We think of a building. We think of church architecture. We think of perhaps memorized rote prayers and traditions and liturgies. What does the Bible talk about when it talks about worship? It includes all that. It includes it. But it doesn't stop there. In fact, everyone worships. It's not a matter of whether you worship. It's a matter of what you worship. So when people stop coming to church, when they stop reading the Bible, when they stop praying to God, when they stop thinking about God, it's not that they stopped worshiping God. It's that they started worshiping created idols. All of us are meant to worship. So Jesus brings it back to this simple truth. The Father is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So how are we? Where are we? What is capturing our hearts right now, currently? We may want more of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. No marriage fails when that's alive in someone's home, right? We want it, but what's the truth? What's our truth about ourselves and our need for grace? You see, the Father is seeking worshipers who will come and say, I am needy. I'm needy in need of forgiveness and in need of Christ. That's why Jesus says, it doesn't matter which mountain. The hour has come where all true worshipers will worship him in spirit and truth. That worship can no longer be constricted or confined to a place. It's all about a person. Worship no longer is some place that you go to to get right with God. No, Jesus has atoned finally and forever for our sin. It's Jesus that is the way. Jesus that is the life. Jesus that is the truth. So we go to Jesus. We don't go to some temple or church or synagogue made by man. No, now the temple is our hearts. He lives and resides in you finally and forever. So, in today's day and age, with a lot of churches shrinking and dwindling and dying and diminishing, there's a renewed effort to go out and say, okay, what does the world want to hear? What is, what is the world seeking after? And let's give them what they want. Can't beat them? Let's join them. What does the world want? What do our neighbors want? What do the communities want? Let's gear our worship services towards what the consumer wants. So there's been a lot of discussion about this because oftentimes there's not much repentance, sacrifice. There's not much talk of the cross or the blood of Jesus. There's not much talk of any of the things because in the end, the consumer is king. But what we want to do is what we want to remember is that God doesn't always give us what we want, but God always gives us what we need. The first seeker-sensitive church service was in the Old Testament. Now, you might not think of it this way, but it was revolving around a big golden cow. The first seeker-sensitive church where the people got what they wanted was right after God had delivered his people, Israel, from bondage and tyranny in Egypt. And now they're out in the uh, wilderness. And the people go to Aaron because Moses was up on the top of Sinai waiting on the Lord. And they go to Aaron and they say, we want to worship Yahweh. Give us a golden calf. 
And Aaron says, well, you did say Yahweh. All right, so we'll just make this golden calf. We'll add the golden calf to Yahweh. Everybody's going to be happy. And what happens is one raucous, depraved, debauched party filled with idolatry. People got what they wanted. And friends, it did not end well. What we see in the New Testament is a different story. In the New Testament, in Acts chapter 16, we see one of the most powerful worship services ever. And it didn't happen in a church. It didn't happen in a cathedral. It didn't happen at a concert. It happened in a prison cell. The Apostle Paul, stripped naked, beaten, fastened to stocks in the dark, dank Philippian jail cell. And then he starts to sing. How many of us know that even when we don't feel like praising, there's power in praising God anyway? He starts to sing, and then what happens? True story. A worship earthquake. The ground starts shaking, and then all of a sudden, it's a miracle. The, the, the stocks on his legs come loose, and the doors to the prison cell swing open. He can run if he wants to. He's free if he wants to. And this all started by singing some hymns, singing some songs. The Philippian jailer sees that the, uh, the doors, the, the jail cells are open, and he sees that he has failed in his position and that his superiors will kill him for failing at his one job. So he takes his sword. He's about to thrust it through his gut. And Paul says, stop. Paul is there. Paul didn't leave. Like if I'm jailed and I get to run, I'm running. Peace out. Paul stays. He says, sir, stop. I'm going to explain to you what just happened. And he shares with him the good news of Jesus Christ. And this man falls on his knees, this Philippian jailer, and says, tell me more about your Jesus. What worship service is in spirit and in truth? You see, it can't be constricted to a place. It can't be constricted to just a time. No, the most powerful worship times, yes, can be with God's people as he inhabits their praises, but would you continue to worship him no matter where you are and let God surprise you as he does with this woman? Last point, and then we'll come to the table. Verse 27, then Jesus, then uh, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek and why are you talking with her? So I want you to underline this. The woman, underline this, circle this, star this. The woman left her water jar and went into the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Is it by accident that she leaves the water jug behind? Friends, she came to the well because she was thirsty. She came to the well because that was her routine. How many of us are sitting here today because Jesus loved us enough to mess up our routine, to mess up our priorities, to mess up all of our plans? You see, she left her water jug beside because she was no longer interested in just the water from Jacob's well. But she had tasted, she has drank deep of the living water of Jesus' grace. So she throws it aside. And friends, what's that for us? What's our water jug? 
What's the thing that we're looking for the world to satisfy, but it just can't, and it never will, it never could? Leave that water jug behind. Not only run to Christ, but what does she do next? This is the first evangelist of Jesus' public ministry. Friends, she was hiding from her neighbors. She was out in the heat of the day, getting water so nobody would judge her, condemn her, and now what's she doing? She puts her water jug down, and she runs into the town. She runs into the town, the people that judge her, perhaps even her previous husbands, and she starts telling them about Jesus. She just doesn't care anymore. That is what true worship leads to, wonder. It leads to the world not understanding it, but you never being as alive as you've ever been before. You never being more fully filled filled with God's joy than in that moment. We invite you to come. We invite you to believe. We invite you to throw away your water jug and drink deep of Jesus Christ. Would you trust in him today? Would you turn from anything this world offers and believe? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, before we come to your table, we want to come to you. We want to come to your son. We want to ask for forgiveness of our sin as we think upon the cross. So Father, if this is us, if we can relate to this story, perhaps we haven't had five husbands, but we have made plenty of mistakes. Jesus wants us to be honest about those mistakes and to realize that while he knows all of us, and every part of us, he loves us more than anyone else. So would you give those mistakes, those regrets, those doubts to Christ even now? And would you drink of his grace? Pray this prayer with me, church. Heavenly Father, I am weary and tired. I'm looking for more and what the world can offer me. Please forgive me and fill me with your grace and give me the strength to follow you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.